We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, towards the end of Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at when Mary spontaneously praises God uh, for what he's going to do. Because we just looked at the angel coming to Mary and what the angel said to Mary. So Mary's really excited about that and the birth of Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know this Christmas season we need a, a reversal, a change in our life. Like we do every Christmas season. Jesus came to, to earth to show us how he is flipping the tables, he's changing the world, and how he's changed it, and we can be a part of that change. God, we need more of you in our life. We need to increase our time with you. Increase the opportunities that we have to share with others about what you've done for us, but also what you're doing through us. Lord, we pray over the, the passage today and the sermon, Lord, that you would allow our, our eyes to be open and, and our hearts to be open and our minds to be open. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is John Mueller, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here this Sunday morning. You're either watching online or you're here in person. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Now, does anyone know which numbered gospel that is in the New Testament? So there's Matthew, Mark, okay, someone, oh, third, people are putting, they'll put three fingers up, but they won't say it out loud. It's the third one. So Luke is the third gospel. And today we're going to look at what happens when you've been changed by God. It's as simple as that. What happens when God brings a reversal in your life? When something changes so drastically that your view, your worldview is completely changed. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top to get to the notes. And you can find our YouVersion event. If you're watching online, you'll need to use another device. Today we're going to talk about the way things are. Have you ever had someone say, this is just the way things are? Anyone? Yeah? This is just the way things are. And usually when that's said, it's disappointing, isn't it? It's never something exciting. So I'm going to share some disappointing things that I don't think are true. One is, people don't change. I, I, I don't think that's true. I think, I think it can be true, but it isn't always true. And when, when we think like the things that are the way they are until we, when we think that things are the way they are until we see something better, because then we realize there's something better to be had than what is going on. Some people take the same route to work. Have you ever noticed that? Do you ever take the same route to work? Do you ever mix it up? Someone drive differently the way you, you go to work? Maybe you, maybe you work the same job for 40 years. Or maybe you're hearing that and it makes you gag and you can't stay in a job longer than a year. You know, we're made differently, but some fear change rather than staying the same. Some others fear staying the same more than changing. It all is, is different, but there's one thing that's a common thread. And I think the common thread that we need to be worried about is when we are like the culture afraid of failure. And it causes us to freeze in our tracks. It might be a career in your education. It might be in relationships. It might mean in, in relationships where rejection is a constant fear. Mary here 
what, what did the angel say to her? Do you guys remember from last week? Do not be afraid. Because she was afraid. She was living a life of fear because she saw an angel appear to her. And I, I would be the first person to say, if an angel appeared to me, I probably would be afraid. I'd be like, what's going on? What did I do? And Mary was living a life of fear. She was living a life of potential rejection. Once she found out that she was going to have Jesus, don't you think she was thinking, is Joseph going to stay with me? What's going to happen here? And she was insignificant. She was in the middle of something that was going to change her life forever. And so God saw her and allowed her to understand just enough, not to, to you ever hear the, the phrase, you know, I'm telling you just enough to not make your head explode. Like, it was like, it's not too much information, it's just enough information, enough information for her to understand that she needed to increase God's presence in her life. And that he also reversed the moral standard of the day and culture, the social standard and culture, and the spiritual standard and culture through Jesus Christ. So Mary was going to change as a result, and so should we. Now, I didn't tell Pastor Aaron this, but I was going to try to sing this whole song today. Oh, are we hearing cackles and laughs? Because singing this song would be, uh, I don't know what the tune is, right? We don't know what the, the tune is, but this is definitely a song of praise. Think of this as like, kind of like the Psalms. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is when Mary is, is responding to what God has done. She realizes things are not just the way they are. Things are different, something's changed, and something's going to continue to change through the baby that's growing inside of her. It says, starting in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I'm going to stop there. So why is Mary saying this? What's 12, 13, 14-year-old girl saying this? It's because her soul, the core of who she is, wants to magnify God. She wants to increase her praise of God because she's realizing she's going to be used of God. And so she rejoices in her spirit that God has saved her, saved her. She's a sinner in need of a savior, which, if you remember, again, I'm, I'm flowing from, from last week's sermon, there was a point where I talked about how the, the Catholic faith believes that she was sinless, but here she's saying she needs a savior. So she's just like we are, but she's blessed. She has joy knowing that she's saved. She's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, I, if I got to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, I'd be pretty excited. But here's something important, and I think we need to understand this. God cannot be made bigger, but God can, can be made bigger in our hearts and lives. He can have a very diminished role in our life, or he can have a big role in our life. And so, much like Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that was, is within me, bless his holy name. This point, Mary has given her whole self over to worship. Have we done that? When we learn that what God has done for us, our response should be like Mary. Our response should be a, a, a praise offering to God, just like Mary, because God is our Savior. 
She gives three reasons here. She gives three reasons in this passage to increase God in our life. And now, the reason I use the word increase is the word magnify actually means increase. But when I think of magnify, like, play along with me here for a second. I think of taking a magnifying glass to an ant. Right? Have you ever done that? I know some parents are looking at kids. You take a magnifying glass to an ant, it, it magnifies the heat from the sun, and you can, like, burn ants. It's really creepy. But, but we're not talking about that. It's increasing instead of focusing. It's increasing what's going on instead of focusing it. So it's, it's the opposite of what we think it is. It's like looking through binoculars in our life. And so we're increasing what God is doing in our life. So the first reason she gives is we increase God in our life when he sees our humble position. You have to realize who you are first. She starts by calling herself God's servant. She knows who her Savior is. The words of Psalm 25, 18 were very timely for her at this point. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Think about this. Aren't people thinking, I mean, let's be honest, aren't people thinking Mary's a little bit crazy? Isn't Joseph, I mean, if, if Joseph wasn't communicated with, Joseph would be like, Mary, you're having a baby and how did that happen? Just like Mary, though, we need to recognize our humble position. Just like Mary, we can't save ourselves. We're lost until we see our own need. St. Augustine, which is, is one of the church fathers in the first four centuries, he, he had such a great phrase here that I, have, I had to quote it. He said, For those who would learn God way, God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, and humility is the third. God's grace comes to those who recognize their spiritual need. If you don't need anything, then you don't need God. That's why it talks about, in the Bible, it talks about it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Why would it say that? Because you have to recognize your spiritual need. And and even further, Kent Hughes even went further to understand this humility that Jesus had and Mary had here. The necessity of humility is a common thread in the nativity. That's the nativity story, the birth of Jesus. And in the accounts, and in much of scripture elsewhere, for Christ comes to the lowly. He does not come to where? Major department stores. They're merchandise windows. You ever, you ever walk down a large, in a, a large city downtown and see the windows? You know, it used to be like Macy's would have a huge uh, window. He doesn't come there. He does not appear on televised Christmas specials. You know, this year I was watching a movie and they totally took out of context the, the nativity and attributed it to, to Santa Claus and part of it. And I was like, oh, Ooh, that's, no, you cannot do that. He doesn't sit on the lead float of the Rose Parade or ride and stretch limos with the rich and famous. He was born to an ordinary young woman in a peasant town in an obscure country. Now, that's why the gospel is for everyone. Because when it really comes down to it, every single person has the same ordinariness to them. When we think we, we don't fit in, guess what? 
The person standing next to you probably doesn't either. There's so many things that, that he came for ordinary people, normal, everyday people. Mary gives us a second reason here for, for to us increase God in our life. And when I say increase, like I said, God does not become bigger. He becomes bigger in our lives, which is different. And so we increase God in our life when we're blessed by God. And you may think that that's like self-fulfilling prophecy. But the reality is we have been blessed by God. Mary said, from all generations will call me blessed. From now on, everybody is going to call me blessed. Mary is blessed through Jesus Christ. He was the mother. She was the mother of the Savior. Here's the secret. We can be blessed by Jesus Christ. We have his spiritual DNA. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, okay, you're beloved. This is for everyone. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. We have God's spiritual DNA. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's, that's what you have. And we increase God in our life when we're blessed by God in that way. We're blessed by the gift of the Holy Spirit when we repent of our sin, and we receive forgiveness from our Savior, Jesus Christ. What's interesting is Mary asked, saying, God, my Savior? She's talking about her own son, too. She's realizing the connection that there's a baby growing inside of her that actually is going to save her from her sins. Mary's third reason to increase God in our lives. We increase God in our life when we experience his power, his holiness, and his mercy. Now, I think everyone really talks about God's power. We want to experience God's power. Holiness is something that actually in the Old Testament caused a lot of fear, and that's why you hear the term fear not a lot when God appears or an angel appears. There's, there's this idea of his holiness he's so set apart. But then God's mercy. He's God's mercy is what comes first. Mary praises God. God is mighty, great, and holy. He's done great things for her. God's giving mercy to who? To those that fear him for every generation. Does, it, does that include us when you hear that? It's for every generation. Of course it does. God's mighty. He's the creator of the spiritual and physical world. He is great in our lives because of Jesus' birth, his death, his uh, burial, death on the cross, or resurrection to new life. He completed the full circle from death to life for us. God's set apart and holy. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the statement that you if, you, if you, if you're accepting that, that's, that's it. That's what it is. People don't want to accept that. They don't want to hear he's the way, okay? Early Christians were actually not called Christians. Did you know that they were called people of the way because they were following the way, which was Jesus? And people started using Christians to describe a group of people in a derogatory way, and Christians just took that on because they're like, well, if you're going to call me that, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Jesus is life. It's God's mercy when he continues relationship with us, even when, and, and I bet you this has happened, 
even when you do things to contradict his will. That's, that, it happens. So as Mary continues here, she shifts. That's why I stopped at verse 50. She shifts a little bit, and she's talking about bigger picture things. That was about Mary. It's very personal. You ever write something that's personal that becomes more general? This is basically what she does here. Verse 50 is the last part that's specifically about Mary, but can be definitely applied to us. And then it continues in verse 51. When, it sa- when she says, he, and this is God, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. I'm going to stop there. Mary just changes the focus here. She changes right in verse 51. She, she shifts from what God has done for her, and the second is part of what she's done, he's done for all of us. Speaking about what God has done and speaking prophetically about the future, what's interesting, and this will happen actually, uh, my, my short Christmas Eve message in this one, the second half of this sounds like it's he's done this. You notice it's past tense. And there's this thing called a, a prophetic, like uh, it's a grammar term. And, and the, here it's actually focused on the past, present, and future. But there's no way to translate that in English. Isn't that very interesting? So it's not just the past. God is doing this and will continue to do this is what it's saying. She's speaking about what God has done, but speaking about the future as well. With this change, she points out three reversals that Jesus has brought. He's bringing, he's continuing to bring. Jesus has brought a moral reversal. Look at verse 51. It says he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. It's not just that he scattered the proud, but it's the thoughts and their hearts, like in the thoughts of their hearts. They can't think clearly. Proud people can't think clearly. Wow. That's, some, that's a lot of power. The proud plotted in arrogance against God. Let me give you some examples. Anyone ever heard the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament? Nebuchadnezzar was a proud man. He was the ruler and he decided, I am going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to just swing my fist at God. I don't even care. But guess what happened next? He started eating grass and acted like cattle and was walking on the ground on all fours. And God caused the proud to fall, with, and he had no clear thoughts. He said they couldn't communicate with him. And Nebuchadnezzar, after God restored him, had this to say in Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. (laughs) Of course, Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Didn't you see that? So God has done this, but Jesus is bringing a moral reversal. The proud will be brought low and the humble will be raised up. When we believe we're morally excellent, this is, this is really deep. <laughs> we will believe we're superior to others. When we think we're morally excellent, we're, we're going to believe we're superior to others. But if we realize we're not, we're going to repent. So if we realize we're not, we're definitely going to repent. So Mary points out a second reversal. We go to verse 52. 
Jesus is bringing a social reversal. He brought the mighty down and he exalted the humble right after Nebuchadnezzar was brought low. He seemed to learn his lesson, but his son, which I love these names. Is anyone going to name their kid Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, that's just... His son Belshazzar, I mean, that's not... Belshazzar, Belshazzar was much worse than Nebuchadnezzar was. He chose to feast when an invading army was outside the city gates. And then he chose to use the Jewish temple goblets that he had taken from the temple. And he chose to offer them and toast to pagan gods. He did this having the written testimony of his father in front of him. They had a record of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And yet he still did this. And then God showed up writing with a hand on the wall. And Belshazzar was noticeably afraid. Daniel 5.6 says... Then the king's color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. All of a sudden, a hand appeared on the wall, and it started writing. I think I'd be pretty afraid, but he is afraid. One minute, one minute he's a mighty king that can party while he's, his, his uh, kingdom is actually under siege because he's so mighty, he doesn't, he just, it's not, he's not worried about it. And the next minute, he's a fainting coward. He ended up falling because of his pride, and humble Daniel was elevated. If you you know the story of Daniel, it's like it went against everything that possibly could have happened. Everything that really should have happened in the world's eyes. God casts down those who think they're mighty and raises up the humble. It's upside down from the world. 1 Peter 5.6 tells us, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. So, humility is not really about our timing, if you notice there. It's about God's timing. And so when we just humble ourselves just to be exalted, we're going to be waiting a long time. There's two reversals that have come, and there's one that's coming. Mary gives this third reversal. It's in verse 53. Jesus is bringing a spiritual reversal. And I think this is, this is, when the world's culture says one thing, God's saying something totally different. If you, if you notice the way our culture keeps changing, in verse 53 it says, He filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. This is before Jesus sends away the rich young ruler. This is before Jesus has people reject him because of their wealth. This is before, it's before all of that, and yet it's still here. Because Mary had seen it in the past, seen it in the future, and seen it that's going to be in the future. Rich can buy their way, usually, but not in the kingdom of God. There's no currency The currency of the kingdom of God is actually faith, repentance, uh, humility, There's lots of verses about spiritual hunger or thirst in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of those from the Psalms. Psalm 63.1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. There's no water. I can't. I can't get anything. I can't pull open my phone and watch Netflix and get filled up. I can't sounds so absurd, but that's what we do. You know, I realized, did you know your phone 
most phones now keep a record of like the apps you open, like the first app you open. And I found that the first app I tend to open is Safari, so I guess that's good. It's not Facebook, but, but you open something and that's the first place you go. And I think honestly, when this spiritual hunger, what it's talking about, this, this reversal that's happening, it has everything to do with the first place you go. Because Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When am I going to come and appear before God? And you know that the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. That's what it says in the New Testament. And so I know from, from both officiating weddings and being in a wedding myself, there's this moment, you know, when the back doors open and the woman walks in, the bride, and comes up to where the groom is. There is a moment where we're going to appear before God. And that moment's going to be glorious if we followed him, but it's going to be not so glorious if we haven't. Because just like the many grooms that I've seen start crying and tearing up as they watch their bride walk down the aisle, Jesus Christ is interceding for us. He's, he's right now, he's speaking on our behalf. And what the key thing I think that we miss is that spiritual hunger is both the Old Testament's prescription for spiritual health and what Mary is saying here is vital to having a reversal in our spiritual walk. How empty are those that are self-sufficient? A reversal is happening from the material to the spiritual. Where do you find your identity and security? You know, when the economy goes down, what happens is, the first thing that happens is we start losing our security because our security is actually found in what we have. And that's what she's, she's talking about here. And we don't realize, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how strong you actually are. So many things have been taken from people this year. And they, there was a national mental health survey that I, I read this week and I, I analyzed. And the only people that their mental health was better than last year. You want to know what group that was? Anyone? Anyone got a guess? People of faith. People that attend church weekly. People that attend church once a month were actually down a little bit. But people that attend church once a week were actually up. And every other statistical category, and it was pretty broad. I mean, it's a national thing. They do this survey every year. And I looked at it and I thought, it's because we've relied so long on being self-sufficient. And God is bringing a reversal. This is actually an opportunity to spiritually grow. And people are not seeing it as that. It's interesting because it says here that the good gifts go to the hungry. The good gifts go to the hungry. That means that those that aren't hungry don't get anything. It doesn't say they get bad gifts. God doesn't give bad gifts. God gives good gifts. So if God's giving good gifts, the only people that get gifts are those that are hungry. The rich get nothing. So when we focus on, and it's not that money is bad, it's the root. It's that you can't serve two, two masters part of it. And so here, when we focus on Jesus, we can feast. 
We can feast on what God has given us. There's a, there's a cycle that happens. And this is the cycle you have three times a day, probably. Maybe if you eat three meals, three times a day. You're hungry, then you're, you're full, and then you have satisfaction. And it's the same thing with our spiritual walk. And that cycle of hunger, when we act like we're not hunger, hungry, we actually are starving. And we're starving ourselves. It's not God starving us, it's, it's us starving ourselves. Matthew 5, 6 in the Beatitudes says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So are you, are you ready to be blessed spiritually rather than materially? I've had to think about this a lot. Like, wouldn't it be nice to not have a mortgage? Wouldn't it be nice to not have a car payment? Wouldn't it be nice to have cool things? Wouldn't it be nice? And we all say this. If we had more, this is what I would do with it. You ever play the game where if I had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Well, now it's like a million dollars is really that much, so it's like 100 million, let's say. What would I do with it? And the reality is, sometimes we say we just want material blessings, and we don't realize that God's given us a spiritual blessing that's worth more than everything in this entire universe. God loves us. What's interesting is Mary ends here in verse 54 and 55. And you may wonder why I'm not necessarily having points from there. It's because it's very simple. She's showing God's faithful and that God is giving mercy to his people and will be giving mercy forever. God's mercy happened in the past, is working in the present, and is working in the future. It's for all generations. I'm telling you, if it's a good gift, you want it. Even if this Christmas you go and you don't open up anything and all you do is treasure the gift that God's given you through his son, that's worth more than anything we can give each other. There's nothing I can give another person that matters more than that. We're living blessed lives when we follow Jesus because it doesn't matter our circumstances because God has given us spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ. And you know what? Going back to what I started with, things are not the way they are. Things are not the way they seem. Because on a day just like this, in a place just like this, there was a teenage girl that chose to have faith and that God used to bring the Savior of the whole world. So things are not the way they are. They're even better. They're better than our wildest dreams when we pursue Jesus Christ. So what? So what does it mean for me? And, and, and I think this is what it means, is if, if God cannot be bigger, but we can make him bigger in our lives, that means we give him more a portion of who we are. That means we give our whole self over in worship of him. So we increase God in our life when he sees our humble position. So I think the first thing there is, what if you don't know you're, you need to be humble? What if you're not in a humble position? Maybe, maybe you're very successful, but he sees us in that. I think if anything, the thing I've noticed this year is 
every single human being on this planet has been brought low. No one has answers. No one knows exactly what to do in all moments. And yet, a lot of people thought they did. Second part is that we're blessed by God. Here's what's interesting. When I'm blessed by God, I should be like, I want to praise him again. Every day, wake up in the morning and get excited about that. And when we experience his power, his holiness, and his mercy, you're experiencing his power when you have an opportunity to pray with someone. You're experiencing his power when you see a heart change that you had nothing to do with. You're experiencing his power when he answers your prayers. This week I prayed over someone and I had him text me a couple days later and God answered the prayer I prayed over them. And I was just like, like why should I not be expecting that to happen? But in this case, it was a big prayer. It was a prayer I wasn't expecting and yet God still answered it. When we experience his power, we're going to increase him in our life and his holiness. He is set apart. He's not like us. Jesus is bringing a moral, social, and spiritual reversal. And guess what? The world doesn't like that. It, it doesn't. It just doesn't. And so something that I really think I need to say, I mean, when I, I, I read what Mary said here, and Mary, Mary said things like, he filled the hungry with good things. He exalted those of humble estate. He, he's shown the strength of his arm, but he scattered the proud. It's a battle, and it's every day. It's every day that Jesus is bringing a reversal in our lives, a reversal in our culture, reversal in who we are. And the only way we can pursue that is through him. It's only through the Holy Spirit. And so as we sing the song as we close our worship this morning. Just remember, Jesus Christ was born for you, born for me. Because, much like Mary, we're in need of a Savior. And He's here to change the world in the here and now, not in the past, not just in the future. He's changing it right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that, that in our lives we need reversals. We need moments that are totally different than they were before. God, grant us faith. Grant us an understanding of who you are. Help us to see by your grace we are saved. Help us to see those moments where Jesus, above all else, needs to be praised. God, we are thankful that you allowed Mary to produce a song that so reflects what we need to hear this Christmas season. God, we're thankful for the faith of a teenager girl. We're thankful that, that you didn't just come for, for 
special people in special places, but we are special because we are your child and because we have the opportunity to worship you, to praise you, to repent of our sins so that we can be saved through our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, thank you even more this Christmas that you are continuing to bring a reversal in the world. We say all this in Jesus' name.